pairs of glasses for $112. Yeah. And it's never that much. What they failed to mention <laughs> is that is for plastic frames, or not plastic frames, plastic lenses mm. without any sort of scratch resistant, glare resistant, anything like that. Yeah. Those are a lot. It's kind of like buy, when they say a base model car right. is this amount, but truly it's never just that amount. Plus, you don't want to roll down your own windows. What no. the hell? Give me I that window even, package. I feel like you can't even buy that. and You can't even have that anymore, can you? Well, I you hope gotta not. You got to get automatic windows. Now. Honestly, I'd rather just, if if I were to have to like roll down my back window, oh. I'd rather just throw a rock at it or something. <laughs> just take care of the Herschel problem. style? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Just put, <laughs> put the plastic up. Uh, yeah, I... God, I think you have to like pay extra to get a base model car. That's Cause ridiculous. Because I, yeah. I do know some people do do it to like if they're getting a nice car for like weight savings. Oh, they want features removed course. and stuff. The um, Gran Turismo mm, model, right? Like We're, if you don't you don't want a sunroof because it's a lot of extra weight on the car, and even all though, the extra electrics will weigh it down and all that. Yeah, and motors for the windows. So Surprisingly, yeah. a convertible top. Usually more weighs more that makes sense than a regular too. car because it needs all the gears to move mm. it and all that stuff. Safety braces uh. and all that. I don't know if I trust those safety braces to be honest with you. Like I wouldn't want to roll over in a convertible. No, certainly not. Like in a Miata. No, oh my no, gosh! No, thank you. <laughs> I wish I could close the door in a Miata, but that's uh, I cannot. Can you even? How hard is it for you to get in one and drive it? It's not possible unless mm. the door is open, because otherwise my leg can't get off the clutch. I can't get off the clutch. How about a S2000? D- that doesn't work at all. That mm. doesn't work at all, because my left foot hits the clutch and the brake, and then my right foot hits the brake and the gas. So, You know what that reminds me of, and I know you would never do this, is there was, I think it was in Britain, they passed a thing where they removed the handicap stalls because someone claimed they were being ableist, um, like the handicap parking spots, because they were racist against people who weren't disabled. Huh. What in the fuck is going on here? You need that spot with the <laughs> ramp zone so you can get your gosh darn wheelchair out of the van. <sighs> That's just lazy people who don't want to walk an extra 10 feet Ugh. because there's a handicap spot. Me, me, me. Yeah. It's all about me, 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 mm-hmm. me, 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 me. It's the world we live in. You can't think about your fellow man ever. No. Or no. else or else you'll be losing out on something. That's what these people think. Yeah. If I, if I don't raise a stink about this, where will it end? What else will they take That's away always, from me? That's always the argument I hear. 
Where it's will it end? Yeah, where will it end? What, are you going to marry a goat next, Cody? <laughs> now that I you might. have gay marriage, you're going to go marry a goat now? You know what? I might. What if I love that goat and that goat loves me? Although I don't know if a goat is capable of love. Uh, love. I'm just going to say that right now. Maybe it is. I don't... They could be friendly, but yeah. love, I don't know. I mean, I've, yeah. I've met a few nice goats. I've also met a few fucking assholes. <laughs> But that same can be said for humans. I know. Interspecies relationships might be a line too far. I'm just throwing that. You can call yeah, me a big. Well, you can call me a bigot if you want. Consent's a, a big thing. Yeah. With relationship, <laughs> you, you need it. Both parties kind of have to be actively involved and willing. You know what? Um, I think in the Mister Hands video. I don't know if that horse was will- a willing participant in that. Well, he fucking showed him, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> showed him what happens when you unwillingly get f- make him fuck. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I. you can call me a bigot if you want. I don't know if I'm ready for animal-human No, we're going to say we're gonna say Bumblebutt approved. Mm, uh, bestiality, oh, Bumblebutt, no good. No approved. Beast- yeah, otherwise it'll be confusing if I say Bumblebutt approves no bestiality. It almost sounds like Bumblebutt th- approves I'm, bestiality. I think I'm okay with inanimate objects relationships. It's fine. Yeah. Animals, no. No animal ex-human husbandry. Mm-hmm. That can't happen. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. I'm not letting it happen. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me, as ever, is Cody. Hello. Hello, Adam. How was your week? Trained all week. Yeah. Filling in for Ma. Some big yeah. surgeries on Monday. Going to be a walk in the park, and uh, then she'll be able to take her job back. You are going to be an RV expert now, right? Uh, RV storage expert. RV storage expert. Okay. Yeah. I'll be managing uh, three lots, so I got to process yeah. payments, uh, send out rent reminders notices, uh, fix people's key cards, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> You know what? Sounds like a great job for Adam. Oh, yeah. Honestly. I, I, I'm so good on the phone, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I just, except for I have to be careful and not be like, hello, Bumblebutt Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder what they do if you did do that. That'd be kind of funny, to be honest with you. <laughs> Maybe I should bring some stickers and hand them out to every space I lease. <laughs> just leave one in each fucking storage Perfect. stall there. Perfect. Hell, yeah. Well, Jody, we wish you a... Speedy recovery on your procedure. Come take your job back from me. I fucking dare you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's all yours. Uh, Cody, what do you say we get down to business? Hell yeah, let's do it. We are uh, going down a bit of a different road this week. Um, I am, we're going to be talking about more of a hero than a villain. Nice. uh, Surprisingly. We've never had heroes besides for the Savo Lions. I don't think we've had heroes on here. No. Oh, Johnny Bonds? He was a bit of a hero detective. Right. Uh, Yeah, this is going to be, you'll see, there's plenty of blood and gore, I promise you. Don't worry about that. Now, I want to thank the author of the book I'm using for research because, honestly, this is close to one of my favorite books I've ever written. Maybe this is just because I like the Victorian era. Yeah, you do. I love it. I don't know why. I just find it so fascinating. Well, the book is The Butchering Art, uh, Joseph Lister's Quest to Transform the Grizzly World of Victorian Medicine Mm. by Lindsay Fitzharris. Great book. It's honestly, I'm sad I can't even include everything that's in this book. There's a lot of like... 
talk about procedures and boneheaded things like that, but I just can't fit it in here. But uh, would you say that this? So this guy is kind of trying to revolutionize the barbary that was Victorian era surgery. Yes, he does. He's trying to like move it forward into Western medicine that we know today. Right, and we're gonna. Uh, the funny thing is we'll talk about America. America was very adamantly against advancement in medicine. Yeah. Well, we uh, loved phrenology. Yeah. We loved the little <laughs> dimples in the skull argument. I think even you, Adam, will be like, this guy's a fucking hero. But let me get into it here. Let's do it. This week, we are going to be diving headfirst into the life story of an individual that has changed the course of humanity. While considering most people don't even know him, the discovery he ultimately ultimately makes has saved untold amounts of life and human suffering. So anytime any of us has had a surgery or a procedure, we should thank him because more than likely we would have one less limb, be paralyzed, or moreover, just straight up be a corpse. All right, all right, Johnny, Josie, Joey, <laughs> Joey Lister Jr. Tiny Joseph, Lister Jr. He only he's very serious man. He only goes by Joseph. Joseph. Okay, <laughs> but the journey it takes to get to his groundbreaking discovery is a road covered in blood, pus, disease, amputated appendages, and lots of dead bodies. Sounds like my bowel movements. <laughs> <laughs> Which sadly is sometimes a necessary evil to later save lives. It's called practicing medicine Mm, for a reason. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm excited to see Adam's face when we start talking about some of this stuff today. We should get like a greeno meter and just <laughs> just, just uh, match up my face to how green it is on I the feel, chart. I feel like this, what we're going to talk about today here is kind of like your worst nightmare. Oh, so. I get a little grim around medical things. <laughs> yeah. The gentleman we are going to be talking about this week is Victorian area surgeon Joseph Lister. But first, we have to talk about another surgeon by the name of Robert Liston, who solidified Joseph Lister's decision to become a surgeon. In the 1800s in Great Britain, it wasn't uncommon to see hundreds of people headed to London's University College Hospital, where they would all be seated around something that was known as the Operating Theater, which was a place where spectators would gather around to witness a famous surgeon performing a usually gruesome operation on some poor soul. And they didn't have gosh darn uh, gloves or anything. They just soaked up and went in there. (laughs) Cody, you got to watch The Nick. It was a Cinemax show called The Nick. It's about the Knickerbocker Hospital, turn of the century. I'm going to watch it. Clive Owen is the star, and he plays a fucked up surgeon. Really? It's brutal. I I, I couldn't, I had to go, I had to cover my eyes. Maybe he was playing Robert Liston. That could be. Once we talk about what Robert Liston does to people. Uh. Yeah. Now, plenty of those in attendance had no affiliation with the medical community, but at least the first two rows were reserved for, quote, hospital dressers. Hey, it was a theater, right? (laughs) Yeah, which was a term for those who followed surgeons around carrying supplies for them. Ah, little lackey squires. Uh, Honestly, (laughs) like, that's kind of what they do. (laughs) Now, the Victorian era was known for being a bit morbid overall, Mm. but medical voyeurism had been going on since the Renaissance times. A French philosopher named Jean-Jacques Rousseau said this after attending a Renaissance-era operating theater. 
What a terrible sight an anatomy theater is. Stinky corpses, livid running flesh, blood, repellent intestines, horrible <laughs> skeletons. Yeah, that's the worst part. Pestilent vapors. Believe me, this is not the place where I will go looking for amusement. Could you attend one of these, Adam? No, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What this a nightmare. horrible. Oh, gosh. I hate humans. I hate doctors. And I hate, like, dead bodies. This is not, not good. So before we get into this guy, what do you think he does in particular that is going to change the course of humanity? What do I think John Jacques Rousseau does? Oh, no, what do I John think Joseph Lister? Lister or Joseph Lister, does? yes. Ha. Huh. Okay. He gets ventilation. He gets the stinkiness out of there. No. And he gets, uh, he makes them wear gloves. Mm, you're getting closer. He makes them wash their hands. Mm, even closer. He makes them take a shower. <laughs> no, he discovers bacteria and germs. Whoa, and that's ma- going to save some fucking yeah. lives. And he learns like sanitation a little bit. Holy shit. Yeah, basically, we'll learn all about oh that. Oh, my but, God. Mm, is that where Listerine comes no, from? No, no, no. Oh, no. that would be great. No, I don't know about that. This guy just, like, he's going to change the course of humanity because he discovered we need to be sanitary when we're cutting into people's bodies. <sighs> yeah, but it takes a while to get there. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm sure they just, like, pulled the knives back mm. out of the drawer after the last <laughs> yeah. surgery and got back oh, at it. Oh, don't worry. We're going to be talking about oh. that. <laughs> Operating theaters during the 1800s were so popular because surgery often was an absolute last course of action simply because the survival rates of the patients were so low. (laughs) Not because of the surgery itself, but because of the high probability of infection later. It's like that family guy bit where he gets a splinter and he's like, I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that was probably exacerbating the risk of infection in the operating theater was all of those watching in attendance. Being that London was becoming an industrialized country, it was dirty and filthy, and those who entered the hospital theater certainly tracked all sorts of muck in with them, and I can almost assume these stands were not cleaned afterwards. Mm. As with the operating table, the floor was completely covered in sawdust to soak up all the blood and to perhaps stop any recently amputated limb from rolling around. Surgeons were just as dirty as those in attendance. Oftentimes, they would just wear the same apron from previous operations, which had now became crusted in blood. Uh. They would show up with their hands coated in blood, Uh. and their tools would have blood on them. The smell that emanated from said surgeons was often referred to as the good old hospital stink. (laughs) I don't want that. Cody. Are, there, are we at a Texas roadhouse or an operating theater? What w- the fuck? I wouldn't even want my Texas roadhouse chef to be covered in blood God. when he's cooking my steak. These are yesterday's steaks, blood. <laughs> Can you imagine any of your surgeries? This guy's coming out. He looks like Dr. Satan from House of a Thousand oh. Corpses. Oh. Holy shit. That's the worst. I mean, that's the worst. I wouldn't eat. You're right. I wouldn't go to a butcher that looked like that. <laughs> oh, no. Now, one surgeon by the name of Thomas Percival. What a chav. He sounds (laughs) like a chav. He's a chad, I'll tell you that. He's a chad, a big dick chad. He started to advise these operating theater surgeons to begin changing their aprons 
cleaning their instruments and wipe off the table prior to surgery. But this was not for hygienic purposes. This was to avoid... Everything that may incite terror. <laughs> we just want to make sure we don't scare the patients. I don't well, honestly, yeah, when you when you're coming up to a bloody execution table, <laughs> you're not gonna your blood your blood pressure is gonna be through the roof. <laughs> I feel like this is like a slaughterhouse simulator game. God they have damn. to go there. I'm I'm just surprised there's no like holes in the floors for all the blood to run oh, through. Oh my god. With our current knowledge of germs and bacteria, it completely makes sense why things like the operating theater might as well have been a death sentence. But the funny thing was that if you were to have a surgeon come to your home for surgery, you were five times more likely to to survive. But this was exceedingly expensive, and most of the citizens in Britain during the 19th century were very poor. Mm -hmm. So those lucky enough to even have a surgery had no option but to go into the operating theater. Mm. So this, if you're some poor schlub, this is your only option. Yeah, that's it. Honestly, it's fucked up. It's rock and a hard place. You yeah. either die for sure or die for sure at <laughs> surgery. You got two options, die in here or die out there. What, what do you want, buddy? At least on the operating table, you could be in front of an audience. Yeah, you get to be part of the show. What a, what a, what a nightmare. <laughs> what a nightmare. It's the afternoon of December 21st, 1846, and Joseph Lister is about to witness a surgery being performed by renowned surgeon Robert Liston. A surgery, some say, solidified Lister's journey into becoming a surgeon himself, but... That is not the only special thing about this particular surgery. You see, this is the first time ever that a surgeon will introduce the use of ether. Hey, shout out Saya, our resident anesthetist. She does she use ether often? I think she, uh, <laughs> recreationally, maybe. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't know how you would even get your hands on ether anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Uh so she's going to be putting people to sleep, huh? Yeah, she's a sleepy, sleepy, sleepy time girl. <laughs> that uh, I see a lot of those every day. Uh, seems like a scary job. I wouldn't like to be, play God that way. <laughs> no, you know. I don't know how they know, like, the right amount to inject them at, like, the right time. It's pretty crazy, to be Especially honest. Especially when they're all liars. Mm. Patients, that is. Yeah. About about their medical history, mm. what kind of drugs they do. Oh, I hear them asking them, like, do you smoke, do you drink, do you do drugs? And it's just like, I don't know how quickly some of them wake up. I kind of wonder if they don't like the drugs a little bit. Mm. I assume if you wake up really quick... After surgery, if they give you um, fentanyl or something, I assume you have a bit of a, uh, uh, what is that called? Uh, tolerance. Tolerance, yeah. yeah. That's what I assume. I don't know. Could be, yeah. she'll email us and tell us yep. one way or the other. Well, just text me, sir. You see, prior to an ether surgery, you would have to just sit and endure the pain of having a limb removed or being cut into. The only other option they had at the time was either laughing gas, which produced inconsistent <laughs> results depending on the person, or mesmerism, which was having a revival in Britain in the okay. early 1800s. Okay, when you said mesmerism, I was like, huh, I don't think I've heard of that drug before. But nope, it's a fucking asshole with a stopwatch <laughs> going <laughs> shaking it in front of your face. Oh my gum, my own. The belief with mesmerism was twofold. Some people believe that the mesmerizer could get into the heads of the patients oh and imbue them with psychic powers, which would help them disregard the pain and heal faster. Sure. 
Or it was used in another way by a man named John Elliotson who claimed he could tell someone if they were going to be visited by Big Jackie, a.k.a. Death, prior to the surgery. <laughs> Big Jackie. I guess that's what they Big call... Big Jackie. That's what they used to call Death. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Big Jackie. Watch out for Big Jackie. Oh, shit. Big Jackie's coming to get my soul, dude. Fucking British people. <laughs> Well, as no surprise, this was found out to be complete bullshit. So <laughs> if the ether proved to be a success in this operation, it was going to be a real game changer. Mm-hmm. Ether had been first discovered in 1275, but what? wasn't synthesized until 1540 by German botanist named Valerus Cordus by mixing sulfuric acid and ethanol alcohol together. Whoa, so what the shit? 1540, okay, 1275 is nuts. But 1540 is still a long time ago to Mm. figure out how to mix sulfuric acid and ethyl alcohol. I feel like inhaling sulfuric acid sounds not good. Unless the alcohol (laughs) somehow like nullifies it, chemically nullifies it. Dude, honestly, we got to shout out the Germans between doing this episode and like um uh when i was looking into essential oils man with medicine they've been fucking stellar with advancing it yeah they're pretty solid even this we'll talk about it more the later they like way more accepting about advancements with medicines and healthcare than like anybody else so it's pretty crazy because they're they're not slowed down by like the religious you know (laughs) a man named Paracelsius used to test ether on his chickens, which he found put them asleep quite nicely. Okay, okay. (laughs) Dude, he was like a 1500s guy with medicine as well. I only know his name because we talked about him with essential oils as well. So he was kind of in that. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine giving ether to a chicken? (laughs) (laughs) What? Were, were his chickens just like rowdy, out of control? He needed well, to no, eat he, them? No, he was a medical guy, so he's like, I'm going to test my products on the chickens. Brilliant. And putting a little ether egg over their two little <laughs> holes in their beak. <laughs> anyway, but this was the first time it was being tested in an operating theater setting in Britain. So surgeon Robert Liston decided to give it a try. He said to the audience... We are going to try a Yankee dodge today, gentlemen, for making men insensible. <laughs> Robert Liston was a bit skeptical of the effected- effectiveness of Ether, but because he was known for being quite the showman when it came to the operating theater, he might as well put on a hell of a performance for his countrymen. Hell yeah, this is the, the like fireworks display as Dude, he takes the stage. They said he was like... Kind of like, I don't know, P.T. Barnum on stage. Like, he loved getting the crowd rowdy and shit. Wow. That was just this guy, man. Oh, my God. That's Liston's music. (laughs) He's taking the operating stage. (laughs) That'd be sweet if they had, like, a WWE-style entrance music when he comes out. Now, Robert Liston had gained quite a reputation when it came to performing surgeries because he had two skills not many possessed. Brute strength and exceptional speed. After witnessing him amputate a limb, one of his colleagues would later say, The gleam of his knife was followed so instantaneously by the sound of sawing as to make the two actions appear almost simultaneous. (laughs) Lister 
could remove someone's leg in under 30 seconds. The secret was to keep his hands free and fluid during any operation, and he did this by placing the bloody instruments inside of his mouth. Get the fuck out of here, man. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. Holy shit. You're screaming in pain. This dude's sawing your fucking leg off. He's got his tools in his mouth. I can understand why the thirty se- under 30 seconds is like uh, a godsend probably yeah. when you're trying to get your leg h- hacked off. But get him out of your mouth, dickhead. <laughs> well, he didn't know any better. Get him out of your fucking mouth. All right, let's hear some stories about Mr. Listener. Now, Liston's speed wasn't without its mishaps. <laughs> Once when he was amputating a man's leg, he was cutting so fast he accidentally sliced off his patient's testicle in the process. <laughs> Holy fuck. Jesus, those are some wild swings. What was he using? I don't know. God. <laughs> or another time, he was cutting so fast he accidentally cut off three of his assistant's fingers <laughs> and while switching blades cut a spectator's coat, which frightened the spectator so much it gave him a heart attack. <laughs> the assistant, the patient, and the spectator all ended up dying, which gave that particular surgery a 300% mortality rate. Holy shit. Holy <laughs> he got, shit. He got a triple kill, dude. <laughs> triple kill. The spectator died of fright. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were scared of him. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. How do you actually cut off a man's balls or your assistant's fingers? Holy oh. shit. Oh, my. But but even Robert Liston knew the hoarder, horrors that await the patients about to have surgery in the operating theater, so he knew he might have to comfort them prior to their procedure. Which, which doctor's notoriously good at comforting people. <laughs> notoriously good at it. Listen to how he comforts them. Okay. Such as when he was about to amputate the leg of a 12-year-old Henry Pace who was suffering from tubercular swelling in the right knee. He, ac- he asked Dr. Liston if it was going to hurt. Liston told the boy, No more than having a tooth out. (laughs) Liston and his assistants then blindfolded the boy, placed him on the table, firmly held him down, and in six strokes of his saw, the boy's leg was removed. Yeah. So I guess you lie to him first and then just cut their leg off and you're good to go. This is, you got to remember, guys, this is all prior to ether. So this little boy... Probably sitting there screaming his fucking lungs out. They probably gave him that piece of wood to put in his mouth so <laughs> he didn't break his fucking teeth. That's six strokes of a saw, right? Yeah, that's quick. Can you imagine feeling that just rattling on your bone as it's being sawed through, though? I don't even like to be tattooed on a place where my bone, like, pokes <sighs> out. <sighs> and then fucking, How sharp is that saw, though? God damn. Oh, thankfully for our good, strong friend, Liston. Yeah, I think he, it's a pretty sharp he saw. Sa- he, they said he's very strong, which we're going we're gonna to talk about a man who might be more like Adam here. Ugh. But sometimes the patient wasn't always as cooperative as Henry Pace was, which was the case when a man came in to have a bladder stone removed. Mm. Right after the man laid his eyes upon the blood-covered operating table, he ran away and locked himself in a bathroom. Yep, smart. Robert Liston chased after him, broke the door down, and dragged him back to the operating theater. 
His assistants held the man down, listened, then jammed a curved metal tube up the patient's penis, mm-hmm. headed into the bladder. Mm-hmm. He then slid his finger into the man's rectum Get to feel the for the, <laughs> to feel for the feel for the stone. Right. Once it was located, the metal tube was removed, and a wooden staff was inserted ah. into the penis. <laughs> Liston then cut into the man's scrotum. Fuck you! <laughs> carefully cutting through all the fibrous muscle oh, until he good. reached the bladder. He then removed the wooden staff and used the forceps to remove the bladder stone. This and entire process... In his mouth. <laughs> little jawbreaker yeah, there. A little peach plum. This entire process... Peach pit. ...took a whopping 60 seconds. So I guess he was pretty quick at that. Yeah, but a metal tube and then a wooden staff. Ugh. 60 seconds. So he's yanking that shit well, out what and shoving it in. What if he's into that? What are they, what's the... Sounding. Sounding, yeah. yeah. You know oh. people lose rods in their penis sometimes? Oh, I've heard some stories of people yeah. came into the ER with uh, wayward objects stuck <sighs> in there. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, now they can use like ultrasound technology, I think, to break up bladder yes, stones. Yes, they just shoot rays at it, and it <laughs> fucking breaks up. Is there cutting your fucking taint open and uh, tearing it out? Yeah, that one's pretty nasty. That's brutal. That's, holy hell. I couldn't even imagine not passing out from that level of pain. Oh. Holy shit. Don't worry, it's only a short 60 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> not to not to mention that guy probably died from infection. There's afterwards. no there's a 100% chance he's yeah. dead along with two people in the front row that <laughs> that saw that and had uh, their <laughs> had balls just exploded <laughs> out of uh, sympathy. Do you remember on Deadwood when uh, yes. the surgeon did that to Al? Yes. Oof. Oof, and on oof, Boardwalk oof. Empire when they did it to Luciano because he had the gonorrhea. Oh, oh man! Oh, we're gonna be talking about syphilis here uh, probably next next week. That'll oh, rot yeah. your brain right off. Yeah, I don't think at this point they fully knew what syphilis was Ooh, quite yet. Not but, until uh, they invented penicillin did they understand syphilis. Yeah. I don't think. Well, but with that little background <laughs> into Robert Liston out mm. of the way, let's talk about the famous ether operation. The lucky man receiving the operation was 36-year-old Frederick Churchill. Frederick was suffering from... Any relation? I don't believe so. I'm assuming mm. it's a common name in uh, Britain at this time. Yeah, probably everywhere that had a hill with a church on it. <laughs> Everyone's named Churchill. Frederick was suffering from chronic osteomyelitis of the tibia, which is a bacterial bone infection which caused his right knee to become swollen and violently bent. Oh. Ironically, the entire reason that Frederick was having his leg removed was because just three days prior, Liston had made an incision in his knee and reached his unwashed hands inside to feel the bone. (laughs) From this, an infection festered and Liston decided the leg needed to be removed. Oh, he just makes his own work, doesn't he? (laughs) Uh, He'll never be out of work, I guess, here. Not Uh, if he keeps shoving his poop hands inside of people. Dude, honestly, we'll be talking about that, but it's like, these dudes, they do a surgery, then go talk to the patients, then go do another surgery, no hand washing, no nothing. Holy shit. No no sanitization of anything. Zero. That's why Mr. Lister is a fucking hero. I love you, Lister, already. Frederick would lie on the table, and an ether mask was placed over his face, and eventually he would be knocked unconscious. Afterward, an ether-soaked handkerchief was placed over his face to keep him asleep. 
Right after Frederick was out, Liston pulled out his custom-made amputation knife that included notches in the handle from all the times it had been used. He's a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, he's a serial killer. Uh, yeah, I think he is. Holy shit. I thought that was funny. Holy. That's ridiculous. Uh, we don't really talk about it, but a lot of these dudes got, like, custom-made amputation knives or, like, bone saws. They had ivory handles. They had fucking gold handles. Like, they were balling, dude. They're like vapors. They, yeah. they, they, they like, up, they, <laughs> they have their own custom mods custom and mo- shit. Well, it's kind of like a, some gun people who get all the custom oh, gun absolutely. shit and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He told his assistant to get ready to grab the artery and shout it to the audience. Now, gentlemen, time me. (laughs) After this was said, the sounds of men removing their pocket watches filled the theater. They were so stoked, man. (laughs) It was a little game for them. It's like like at Twins games when they hold up the circle me Bert signs. This is is like that. (laughs) A tourniquet was then wrapped around the man's thigh and Liston made a huge incision right above the knee down to the thigh bone, after which his assistant handed him his trusty bone saw. In about six swipes, the leg was removed and fell into the hands of his assistant. Liston then tied off the artery and blood vessels and saved enough muscle to form a nice stump, which was very important when it came to amputation of any limb. The amputation took a whole 28 seconds. Wow. The patient didn't make a single peep the entire time, which was pretty drastic from the skin-crawling screams that usually were heard during this procedure. After Frederick woke up, he asked Liston when his surgery was going to begin. He then lifted his leg and saw the stump. Frederick realized it was all done. Afterwards, Liston yelled to the crowd, This Yankee Dodge gentleman beats mesmerism hollow. (laughs) Papers across London would celebrate the discovery of ether, such as London's People's Journal, which wrote, Oh, what a delight for every feeling heart. The announcement of this noble discovery of the power to steal the sense of pain and veil the eye and memory from all the horrors of an operation. We have conquered pain. Hell yes. Now, I find this interesting because... While he keeps calling it a Yankee Dodge, it was like lightly used in America prior to them using it. So, oh, but they but it sounded fancy. Mm, probably. It could be. The first person to use it in Britain was a fucking dentist. Pulled a tooth out with it. Um so, And that was better than Laughing Gas? Was was Laughing Gas just nitrous or what? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But it, it apparently like <laughs> Some people would like wake up halfway through the God. surgery from it or something. Well, that's so the that's the nightmare. Yeah, I it, mean that's what that uh, uh, Anakin Skywalker movie was about. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Hater Christensen. Yeah. yeah, he had a movie where it was like he was awake but couldn't move, and he he was getting cut into. And the, I just remember this from the trailer. Uh, he had a big tear coming down his eye. God, and he that sounds horrible. Yeah, that sounds like a fucking. What a joke. What a cosmic uh, joke that would be. Yeah. So that's why they didn't like using laughing gas because you might pass out. I might not. <sighs> we might wake up halfway through. But ether, you can like control them not waking up at all. So Which is good. It is good. While most would see this as a monumentous event in the evolution of surgery, and it certainly was, the real killer remained after the surgery was performed. That, of course, was infection. Mm. Also, after the discovery of ether, it actually caused more people to die from procedures simply for the reason 
that it made surges more bold and willing to operate mm. on sections of the body that mm. they hadn't previously. You see, the abdomen and head were basically <laughs> avoided completely because they were almost certainly going to be a death sentence. But now with ether, more surgeons were willing to venture into those areas, but ultimately infection was the real killer of cutting into those sections of the human body, sure. which is where our boy Joseph Lister will make the discovery that changed the world. Yeah, just wash your hands. <clears throat> Well, and you have to sanitize the wound. You have to. You know, that that's important too. Um him the what he uses to initially sanitize obviously is not <laughs> going to be used today, but it did the job. You got to start somewhere. Yeah, and the level of push pushback that he gets I bet for his discovery is insane. Hey, how do these old fucks at jobs nowadays not realize that they are the same people? Hmm. They are the same type of people that push back against anesthesia for yeah. surgery or or sanitation for surgery. So those crusty old fuckers, they need to learn that change is inevitable and change hmm. is good. Uh, I think by the end of this series, you're going to be like, People don't change, dude. They don't uh, change. Yeah. Old people will not evolve with current times. They you know why? definitely didn't do it here. It's because mammals' brains harden. Mm, so you think that's why they get stuck there? Absolutely. Just okay. like why a little kitty will play fetch with you sometimes, but when it becomes a cat, that's done because it's <laughs> brain hardened. <laughs> Sophie has started playing again, so that's good. She really likes her little uh, stick thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. The old stick. String stick. Yeah, she's yeah. been getting real aggressive with that bad boy. Perfect. And we've been, uh, what is it, Freudinger? her? We've been putting, uh, putting her tr her like um, soft food like on the top thing of that uh, pillar. She'll go her little big butt. We get right up there to eat her food. Yeah, that's not Freud. That's like Pavlov, maybe Pavlov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Freud would be like, you the wanted sec. her to fuck her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've been Pavloving her then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let's start with who exactly was Joseph Lister. Joseph Lister was born on April 5th, 1827 to Joseph Jackson and Isabella Lister. Michael in, Jackson's dad. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Joseph was one of seven children born into a large traditional Quaker family. Mm. With being born into the Quaker religion, his family followed the lifestyle of the church almost to a T. The number one goal being to devote one's life to God and not participate in such activities as hunting, playing sports, or worst of all, attending the theater. Naturally. Gross. That's pornographic. <laughs> Interestingly, the Quakers were oddly accepting of scientific advancements, which will become important to how Joseph learns to utilize what he learned as a young man and turn them into his own scientific advancements. At the age of 14, Joseph left school and began to work as an apprentice for his father, who was a wine merchant. Hmm. While most Quakers certainly abstained from consuming alcohol, at the time it wasn't entirely forbidden. It wasn't until later in the 1800s when the teetotaler movement took over the Quaker religion. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. They all, it, hey, you know, the religion, they they ruin all the fun. With their, <laughs> you can't drink, you can't do none of that. Yeah, no hunting. 
No why hunting. Why is no hunting? Why is that what evil? Am I, what am I supposed to do around here? <laughs> I can't hunt. I can't drink. I can't go to sports. Can't go to the theater. What kind of a th- fucking theater? What could you even watch? Or play? Yeah, that, yes. Is it play that yes. naughty? It's it's all naughty. Well, I mean, well entertainment hmm. was... That's why... Okay, this is going to sound anti-Semitic, but stick with me for just a second. Jewelry, uh, fashion, entertainment, and money were all considered dirty, unclean, unchristian things, which is why they kind of became the domain of the Jewish... Correct. Okay. Gotcha. What was my point? Um, that Christians avoided luxury because they were associated with the Jews. Exactly. And gotcha. they were unclean. Exactly. Mm, I don't, I know the Quakers eventually evolved into a modern day religion, but um, I don't know how they felt about, I don't know how anti-Semitic they were. They just kind of seemed to be like borderline Amish people. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's kind of what they seem yeah. like, but whatever to each their own. Hey, they make good oats. In regards to the Quakers and science, Joseph Jackson Lister would become deeply invested and interested in one of the newest technologies of the time period, the microscope. Now, during this time period, the microscope was considered to be more of a gentleman's toy than it was a scientific tool. Oh, like a hobby? Like fucking around with it? Ooh, you're fancy. You got a microscope over there. Oh my god. The battle between like people accepting a microscope as science in this time period is in it just like blows my mind. I'm I'm assuming it was seen more like a computer or like an it, Xbox it like or a something. St- like stupid, a fun yeah, fuck was, around toy. It's just stupid and not useful and whatever. Between eighteen twenty four and eighteen forty three Joseph Jackson Lister was so deeply invested in his microscope, he figured out how to correct a lot of the problems that plague the microscope technology of the time. Wow. The lenses would often distort the light coming through them, which would cause a purple halo to appear around the object you were trying to look at. In 1830, Joseph Jackson filled the flaw with his invention of an achromatic lens, which got rid of that pesky purple halo. Eventually, his father was able to give the specifications to the microscope companies in London, and judging from how much money his family seems to have, I assume he became quite wealthy from I this. hope so. I hope he wasn't just calling them up and giving that shit away. You no, gotta I, get that in writing. Judging by how he kind of like pays for uh, Joseph Lister's like housing and stuff, I'm pretty certain that he got rich from that and not be, maybe a wine merchant's rich. I don't know. Mm. But it's. I'm assuming that's what it is. I hope so. In 1832, Joseph Jackson was offered a fellowship with the Royal Society that recognized those who had accomplished feats in the scientific community. It's been awesome. around since 1660. Awesome. That's crazy there. Oh, so that's awesome. A, it's a big dick thing. They have, there. They, they definitely have magic research in there somewhere. <laughs> 1660, are you kidding me? You think uh, Alistair Crowley wanted to get in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, that boy wanted to see some 1660 uh, <laughs> research. Because of his father's immense interest in microscopes, their home was often filled with so all sorts of fossils and specimens. Every morning, Joseph Jackson would have his children read to him while he was getting dressed. Awesome. One of Joseph Lister's earliest gifts from his father was a four-volume book called Evenings at Home or The Juvenile 
budget opened, which contained fables, fairy tales, and natural history. Well, both of those sound terrible. Yeah, why and is boring it, as shit. Why is a children's book called The Juvenile Budget Opened? That sounds like like <laughs> a program I would use to balance my budget. I know. It sounds like some shit Elon Musk would make his kid read. Like, the Juvenile Budget Opened. <laughs> I don't know. Why Weird don't you send qu- me the Warren Report and I'll read through that too. Uh, yeah, let's read through the Patriot Act. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. All 6,000 pages of there it. There you go. Now, even though Joseph Lister will become an important surgeon later in life, he grew up following the Quaker style of medical care, which was the healing power of nature. <laughs> they were very against many of the medications of the day, which ironically wasn't entirely a bad thing because most of the medications around this time contained things like mercury and arsenic. I was about to say mercury. Like, yeah. everything had a dash of fucking mercury <laughs> in it back then. Are you kidding me? So they were, like, accidentally right about not taking the muscles. Hey, I've always believed druids are correct, and that's what, that's what these sound like. Now, Joseph seemed to always be drawn to the medical field because at the age of 14, Joseph apparently was very fond of drawing skeletons. Gross. He would draw the muscles on pictures of a man. He would label all the bones found in the cranium and hands. He also dissected a sheep's head, Joseph said. I almost got all the meat off and I think all the brains out before putting it into a macerating tub. <laughs> It's like a young. If you if you heard some kid doing this today, you'd be like, "That's aspiring serial Cody, killer over there." That's what doctors are. They the only <laughs> thing is, this guy had a rich dad that helped him patent microscopes, <laughs> and fucking Ted Bundy had a deadbeat dad or True. one he didn't know, or it was his. He thought his grandpa was his dad, right? Isn't that <laughs> yeah, how that worked? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, they Fuck lied about me. who his father was. And- so, yeah, if your dad's rich, you become a doctor. If your dad's your grandpa, you become, become a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> they do the same fucking things. Well, I could say the Victorian era ones. I don't know about modern ones. Boy, they're always cutting up the neighborhood <laughs> pets and seeing how they tick. <laughs> So it makes sense that when Joseph reached the appropriate age, he decided he wanted to pursue a career as a surgeon, which to those in the Quaker religion, which was seen as man directly intervening with God's handiwork. Fucking fundamentalists. (laughs) But although it might have not been the ideal job for a man of the Quaker faith, there was one loophole that could be utilized if one wanted to become a surgeon. You see, surgeons of the time were just as poor as most of the citizens in Great Britain. It wasn't <laughs> It wasn't until 1848 when they started to earn a salary. Wow. Even though surgeons who owned private practices made very little money, so technically it could be seen as a job for a frivolous individual. Oh, like a bachelor that was just doing it on the side or something. They want people to not live in luxury so if you are a poor surgeon that you are not living in a a whatever luxurious life (sighs) so it's a nice little loophole they have in their religion that's that's great yeah (laughs) yeah isn't doesn't it suck that like so many religions the tenant is god wants you to be poor so you'll be happy in heaven why is he so jealous why is he so judgmental it's his goblins it's not him it's it's the people that interpret his words yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> so it's ridiculous. his priests and, and bishops and cardinals it's so ridiculous at the age of 17 joseph lister would enroll at university college london 
London was quite a bit of a different environment than living in the countryside where Joseph grew up. Yeah. London had experienced an immense population boom, which led to an insane amount of people living in poverty. It wasn't odd to see homes without doors because the inhabitants had to burn the doors just to keep warm. Fuck. The skies were constantly gray. Everything, including the people, were covered in soot. Feces and urine littered the streets. Disease and death were everywhere. Yeah, they changed that whole moth. Yeah. They, oh. they destroyed that moth and turned it into a gray-speckled moth. Like, the way I'm about to make talk about it, it sounds like there's nothing but, like, bodies everywhere. But Bring I, out I, your dead. Yeah, it was... Oh. Men would be hired to clean up the, quote, night soil. <laughs> <laughs> that was... Remember what they called it human dirt? Was that Albert Fish? Yeah. That's so oh my good. God. Like... Night soil. <laughs> to, hey, baby, tonight we're going to make some night soil. <laughs> Dude, that shit is so fucking funny. I love that. <laughs> now... The night soil that was overflowing from the cesspools of human waste that formed in the buildings of London. Ugh. An entire underground movement was formed from all the trash. Men referred to as bone boilers, toshers, and mudlarks who would dig through all the garbage, feces, and animal corpses located underneath the city. They would clean off the goods found and resell them to tanners, farmers, or other traders. Fuck me. That's what the, the, the two characters on um, Les Mis, Sasha Baron Cohen and Helena uh, Bonham Carter. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, those those types? Yeah. He was under there cleaning through the, the bodies, <laughs> wasn't he? I Honestly, I would kind of love the title of fucking Bone Boiler. Bone Boiler. That's so fucking mad. That's a bone great... Bone Boiler. See, instead of Druid, he should have went with bone fucking boiler. Bone Boiler or, or Toshers. <laughs> <laughs> or the Mudlurks. That's also good. Isn't that a, a bad guy in Fallout? Mudlark? Mudcrab. Mudcrab. Mud but what are the things in Warcraft? Mur Murlocs? Uh, yeah, Murlocs. Murlocs. Yeah, maybe Mud they lurks. dig through shit too at the end of the night. <laughs> The churchyards had so many bodies, it wasn't weird to see bones sticking out of the ground. <laughs> what is this, Castlevania? I, what the fuck? There was so many bodies, dude. Putrid slime would ooze out of the churchyard, and the cloud of stench that surrounded the area was horrible. There was a story of two people who had fallen into a 20-foot deep grave and ended up being asphyxiated from the gases coming off of the corpses. What a horrible way to die. Oxygen couldn't even penetrate the cloud of gas. <laughs> the cloud of corpse gas. Dude, they I think they said like one church had like 26,000 bodies in its little graveyard there. So that's they, in the I mean, if you drink that water, you're drinking corpse juice <laughs> yeah. from anywhere. Yeah. On that filthy little island. Dude, they said like if you lived anywhere around those areas, it's just this all you get small is dead people. Dead like, bodies. Just death everywhere, dude. Ooh, nice soupy dead yeah. people Ugh. with pink slime. Imagine if out. that slime came into your house or something. Ugh. Bottle it. I didn't even get into Call all it Gamer Girl bathwater <laughs> and sell it on the internet. Delphine Bell Delphine could sell it. Yeah. Um yeah, I didn't even get into all the like people living on mattresses in the bottom of homes that were being eaten by rats oh. while they were sleeping. Like it was so <laughs> bad. It was so bad. 
So when Joseph Lister found himself at UCL, London was drowning in its own filth. One of the unique things about UCL was that it was one of the only colleges in the country that didn't require its students to attend daily Anglican church services, which earned the college the title of the godless scum of Gower Street. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Dude, is that? do they have that as their mascot for football games? <laughs> is, is there a here's, godless here's scum here's mascot? The UCL fucking godless scums. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's a great name for a football team. That's good. I think the Washington football team should consider the godless scum. The Washington godless scum. <laughs> UCL had three major faculties, arts, medicine, and law. Joseph did as his father requested and acquired his arts degree first, which would be similar to a modern-day bachelor's arts degree. When he began his studies, Joseph Lister was known as one of those types of people that could just never seem to sit still. His mind was always racing, and he always was thinking about something. He was also seen as shy by his fellow classmates when he felt agitated or embarrassed, the corner of his mouth would twitch, and the stammer that plagued him in his childhood would rear its head. Being that Joseph was probably a bit on the shy side, he more than likely didn't enjoy the fact that he inadvertently drew attention to himself. This was because he was 5'11", which was considerably taller than his fellow students, and he only wore mute colors because of his right, Quaker faith. Right. Uh, this, uh, I don't believe this man was neurotypical. Do you understand? Yeah. Wait, what? What well, does that mean? Well, that like neurotypical would be people that don't have autistic traits. Mm. Uh, a lot of this sounds like he was showing autistic traits. Really? Not that, yeah, not that, uh, not that, uh, <laughs> that was a thing back then, obviously. No, no, they, no, no, they no. would not be able to tell what that was. I, I feel like I kind of get what he's talking about because, you know, I kind of feel like I'm always like thinking about different things constantly like it never shuts off you know and i think for him this is fantastic because he sees problems and he's like i gotta solve that problem you know what i'm Fant saying fantastic for the world mm. probably hell for him because oh. he feels he's responsible he has <laughs> to do it he might be a bit compulsive you know Oh, don't you worry. We're going to be talking about his compulsion <laughs> and depression here. Oh, so he's a genius, too. Yes. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. Joseph would eventually start living at 28 London Street with fellow Quaker by the name of Edward Palmer, who just so happened to be one of Robert Liston's surgical assistants. It was because of Palmer, who worked with Robert Liston, that Joseph was able to witness that famous ether surgery. Now, even though Joseph pursued his arts degree First, it didn't mean that he wasn't also dabbling with medical things because records show that he would purchase a set of forceps and sharpening knives for 11 shillings mm. and also bought body parts to dissect from a man by the name of UL. We oh. don't we don't know that guy's real name. Underlord. Just, <laughs> he just went by UL. I'm assuming there was plenty of black market organs and shit you could oh, be buying. Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, it was enough for them to make like a stereotypical character arc of being <laughs> like grave diggers, you yeah. know? The interesting thing about the students who attended UCL were was they were basically put into two categories. Medical students and regular students. The medical students stood out because they would always be carrying around their instrument cases, which contained knives, bone saws, forceps, 
probes, hooks, needles, ligatures, and lancets. Lancets saw a lot of work during this time because a lot of, of boils. Ah, uh, the popularity of bloodletting. Ah, chimachi! I yeah. forgot about that terrible time. <laughs> that good stuff. Oh. Stuff that killed. Uh, what was it? George Washington. Yeah, <laughs> he died of bloodletting. Oh, just drain a little more. I'll be fine. Just keep keep him bleeding. <laughs> just like draining a faucet. Oh. No worries. You, gotta, you just got to get the bad blood out, and the new <laughs> good blood will be. Mwah. It'll be fine. Oh. Uh, fun fact about the more veteran surgeons, one could usually tell how often a surgeon's case was being used by the amount of blood and gore that it had still on the case. <sighs> so if you were seeing a doctor, you look at his instrument case and be like, okay. Ooh, fleck a pancreas. This guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, I can trust this guy. He's got yeah. enough guts and gore on his case. He's good to go. <laughs> There's a heart valve. Wow. <laughs> Additionally, medical students were considered to be rough and tumble type. In their their very first course, they were warned about the vices that many of the medical students would inevitably succumb to, which included gambling, drinking, and theater going. Unacceptable. (laughs) Even the school's like, don't you dare go to that theater. How dare you go take in that entertainment. One instructor said these vices were more contagious than leprosy of old and disfigure the mind more than that eastern plague ever did the body. (laughs) It's a hell of a warning there, buddy. Wow. One vice that was widely accepted, though, was smoking cigars. Naturally. This was because it was very effective at drowning out the smell of decay that medical students were often forced to smell on a regular basis. That makes sense. Yeah. But you know you're in dire fucking straits when you're using a shitload of cigars as <laughs> as air freshener. <laughs> That's dire straits, my well, boy. Well, here's the other thing. Let's say not only is your surgeon covered in blood, his hands are in blood, his tools are in blood, then he walks in the room smoking a cigar. Oh. Like, all right, let's do this. Cut this leg off, buddy. Let's With do his it. bloody hands, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the cigar's covered in blood as well. It's probably a little damp, yeah. This is just <laughs> horrific. <laughs> now, while most of the other medical students were probably more of the troublemaker types that instructors warned the newcomers about, Lister being a Quaker more than likely meant he kept his nose buried in his study. Interestingly, Joseph Lister would bring with him a device that not many other students would have been familiar with. An iPhone. (laughs) You think they didn't have the iPhone 10 yet? I don't think so. (laughs) That being, of course, the microscope. Oh yeah, the gentleman's toy. The funny thing was that the older surgeons were adamant that things like the microscope were silly. Everything a successful surgeon would need to know could be seen with his naked eye. Absolutely. Fucking witchcraft. Get it out of here. Now they're using cyber knives that are (laughs) smaller than the eye can see. Most of his instructors would warn the students that microscopes couldn't be completely trusted yet because <laughs> the technology was constantly evolving with them. Which... Oh, right. That's terrible when things <laughs> keep getting better. It's just a bad thing. You can't trust it. I can't trust that. That's you not time tested. You see how it's like the old guard is never willing to accept. Never. It's just insane. Never. They're old, stubborn cunts. And the only <laughs> thing that moves them forward is... The inevitable passage of time and the death we all face. Uh, just wait till we get to when he actually discovers the shit. It's gonna the blow your mind. Stuff? Yeah. It's gonna blow your oh, mind, God. honestly. I can't believe it took this long to figure out germs. <laughs> That's ridiculous. How did humans make it this far? I don't know. We are a stubborn cockroachy bunch. Right. 
Even still, Joseph Lister didn't and thankfully would never give up on his hope of utilizing the microscope for medical purposes. As an aspiring medical student, no doubt Joseph would have spent a good chunk of his time in a place that earned the nickname the Dead House, (laughs) which was the dissection room, a room filled with five wooden tables and a thick layer of sawdust on the floor to collect the blood. Generally, it wouldn't be unusual to walk into this room and find corpses mutilated and hacked away at by the students or see the gray paste that remained of someone's brain after having the top of its skull removed. Now, now that might not even be the worst of it because the stench in the room was legendary and this smell was only made worse by the fact that there was a fireplace in oh, the great. room that would make it quite stuffy at times. Yeah, that's what you want. You oh. want to make sure it's nice and warm in the mutilated corpse room. Holy hell. Fuck this, my taint. Is this a house of nightmares for you? Yes, <laughs> yes it is. And it is a literal house of nightmares. Oh my god. Because nobody wore gloves or any sort of protective nah. gear... It was not uncommon to see medical students with pieces of flesh, blood, or guts on their outfit as they left the room. Oh, you got a you got a piece of guts on your foot. <laughs> You're trailing a piece of guts on your foot there. Some students who lived on campus found that their rooms were not that far away from the dead house, so w- one can only imagine the constant lingering stench they had to endure on a regular basis. Now, I know cartoons aren't real life. Yeah. But do you think you could see the stink lines? <laughs> I don't know. Dude, they... I, oh, yeah, I forgot to add this, too. They would... Uh, obviously, this room would have all sorts of vermin eating the corpses, too. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Rotten food is so good for the little rats. Honestly, this is like pig... Big Ben's house, the house here, the <sighs> dream house, right? Maybe this is where he slept at night. I don't know. Yeah, his dad's a medical student, Pig Pen. That's what they left out of Charlie Brown. <laughs> Honestly, you probably could see the flies and stink lines oh. all over. It's bad. But this room was also important because it would sometimes weed out those aspiring medical students who found out pretty quickly that they couldn't handle the gore associated with the profession. There was a story from a man named James Marion Sims, who would eventually become a renowned gynecological surgeon. He likes it a pussy. Oh, God. You imagine an 1800s gynecological <laughs> surgeon. <laughs> Holy shit. Ay, ay, ay. Dude, honestly, I probably won't bring it up, but so, so many women died during childbirth. Or oh, died. God. From childbirth because their vagina would tear and then they wouldn't know how to treat the infection (sighs) and then they would die. It was expected. It was expected that moms would die in childbirth. It was a high chance. Yeah, it was... What a half grim the kids time. made it, right? You were good if you had 50% yeah. that made it. So. I would give 30% of the kids, probably. Oh, that's a brutal... Uh, the guy who kind of trains Joseph in the later episode, I think he had like seven kids and only like two were alive still or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, not good odds. Because the dissection room didn't have electricity like we do today, they did everything via candlelight. His instructor was dissecting a body that had a chain attached to it that was also connected to the ceiling. Well, the instructor bumped the chain and caused the corpse to be listed into an upright (laughs) position, and the hands of the body were thrown over the instructor's shoulders. (laughs) 
Because of all the movement, it just so happened to extinguish the candle, leaving the instructor and students in a pitch black room filled with dissected corpses, corpses, which I can only imagine is terrifying. Yeah, because it's now hugging the instructor. (laughs) It's hugging the teach. But completely unbothered the instructor <laughs> simply just sat the corpse down on I'm the not table that into you. I'm, not, I'm just not that into you <laughs> we need to maintain a personal <laughs> bubble here young man this is doctor patient this is the respect du- issue here dude he was so cold he just like didn't even flinch he's like oh this happens whatever uh, just I've, ca- I've not done the old chain hug <laughs> trick before what if that was his thing what if he did that to every class that was like his fetish or no that yeah yeah that was like his little his pranky joke thing. yeah yeah. Why else would you put a fucking body on a chain? What are you what are you doing? Well, I'm assuming they hoisted it up to like show the kids different parts of the anatomy, maybe. Oh, like putting it up on a lift, putting your yeah. car up on a lift. That's what I assume. I don't know. Another incident involves a former medical student and soon to be composer named Hector Berlioz. After being in the dissection room for a brief time, he found himself becoming quite spooked. Hector eventually would jump out of the window and run home. He felt as though death himself and all his grisly band were hot on my heels. <laughs> he claimed to run away because of the sight of limbs scattered about, the head smirking, the skulls gaping, the bloody cesspool underfoot, and the repulsive stench. Yeah, I think that would scare a lot of people here. It's a good reason to go. <laughs> it's a good reason to find the nearest window and, and <laughs> jail. Jump out of it. Now, the sad truth was that if you wanted to become a surgeon, there was no escaping the reality of the dissection room. But for most of those who were really invested in the profession, found exploring the inside of a human body as an educational curiosity. Serial killers. The dissection room also served another pivotal purpose. That was to completely desensitize medical students to the horrors of all the blood and gore they will no doubt have to face throughout their careers. I'll tell you this, right? Yes. Let me tell you this. Mm. That makes sense to me. Mm. Because they will never come across anything more brutal on an alive person than a rotting dead person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, you just got to kind of get used to the... And around this time, you got to remember, there's a lot of pus, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of way more disgusting than just like a frozen human body they're cutting into. Yeah. Like, these are gross, gross, disgusting corpses that they are cutting into here. Um, It's, you know, you envision a medical student, I don't know, maybe Sai will tell us, but... They probably have, like, a chilled room the students are cutting into the bodies and not... Yeah, I don't think they're festering, (laughs) you know? They don't just, like, leave it there for students to come and go and play with the bodies and then go back to their room. And it seems like the way you were describing it, I think some of those kids were taking some shit out on those corpses. The way they were, like, hacking hacking them up. You Hold on. You've just, uh, you've activated my trap card here. Oh, (laughs) boy. I always do. Now, sanitizing the students sometimes had a negative side effect. Some students would take the limbs from dissected corpses, such as the arms or legs, and have mock duels with each other. Yeah, of course they would. (laughs) Sometimes others would steal the entrails from the dissected corpses and hide them in a spot as to where one of their colleagues might discover them and scare the crap out of them. (laughs) 
Some visitors to the dissection room with abnormally large pockets might discover later that someone had snuck an appendage into said pocket. <laughs> That's just pretty good. Put a finger in his pocket or something. Yeah. They were very adamant about if you came in with a giant double-breasted coat or something, you were getting appendages That's in your pocket. That's so good. So, yeah, the kids were having a little fun in here as well, a little... Little innocent fun, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess. What's a better weapon, the arm or the leg? Your leg for the sure. Leg. That's leg more of a club. Sure. Yes. And the hand's more of like a thrust weapon. Perhaps. I would say. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> I think you could get some good whip if you hold the ankle right. and you you slap. Ooh. I think the thigh is going to do some. There's damage. a lot of weight on the leg, dude. Definitely. Like you don't think about it. There's a lot of leg right hey, there. There's a lot carries, of weight right there. It carries us around. It's lo- It's right. our locomotion. You know. <laughs> Now, with all the benefits of having a place for students to learn, such as the dissection room, there was one very real danger that the instructors adamantly warned their underlings about, and that was to be careful not to accidentally nick or cut themselves while they were dissecting the bodies, Mm -hmm. even though they didn't fully understand what germs or bacteria were yet, they did realize at the very least This was a very easy way to get an infection that could ultimately kill you. Additionally, there was always the possibility that you could contract any sort of disease that said corpse might have had, which is exactly what happened to Joseph Lister. (sighs) And so, like, he didn't even nick himself. He just got in contact with a diseased corpse. Right. Yeah, I mean, then they're all going to be diseased because they're corpses. They're rotting (laughs) fucking corpses well i mean you got to remember at the hospitals or whatever people could have died of like so many different diseases and it's just and they just pile them in there yeah while he was at ucl attending to his studies he soon discovered that he had little white pustules on the back of his hands smallpox yep which he immediately recognizes smallpox a disease that killed one in three that contracted it yep Sometimes, even if you were lucky enough to survive smallpox, you would be left with hideous scarring on your hands and on your face. Luckily for Joseph, he only had a mild version of smallpox in this case and did not suffer any scarring on his face or his hands. Good. I think that's a quarantine for at least three months if you contract... Uh, like nowadays. No, back back in here. Oh, back then. They'd shove you in a room. Well, 1910 at least. I don't know. <laughs> Eight, this is like 1840, this is, I Yeah, think? 1840. This is pre-Civil War shit. You probably just like cover your beard. <laughs> <You're good. laughs> it was after contracting smallpox that Joseph Lister had a bit of an internal crisis questioning if he should continue to pursue his dream of becoming a surgeon. One evening in 1847, Joseph... I guess I had my dates right. One evening in 1847, <laughs> Joseph was attending a Quaker gathering with his friend John John Hodgkin, nephew of John Hodgkin, who discovered the cancer. Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yep. He was wow. the guy. He discovered it in like fucking like the late 1700s. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. And he was telling other Quakers that he believed the life of the surgeon was not for him anymore and instead was going to become a Quaker minister. Mm. Ironically. The one person who would talk him out of this rash decision was actually his father, Joseph Jackson, who lived a very devout Quaker way of life himself. Mm. He believed that the medical field was the right path for his son, even though we know which path Lister ultimately chooses. 
he would spend the next year suffering from depression and having a nervous breakdown trying to figure out what he wanted to do, even though he had his father backing him up to continue to become a surgeon. I wonder if uh, part of it was if he he thought that the smallpox was like a warning shot from God. Honestly, like, <laughs> like very possible. Like I dare you to keep going. Very possible. I don't really know. Um, but uh, you know, everybody kind of has an identity crisis eventually, you right? You have to, or else you're not a human. What a wasted opportunity if this guy became a Quaker minister God. instead of like solving or learning how to use antiseptics. Fucking crazy, man. Thank you for being super interested in microscopes and and (laughs) not so much Quakers. (laughs) Now, while the common treatments for, quote, nervous disorders were either to prescribe a concoction of medications which may have included morphine, strychnine, Q9, codeine, atrophine, mercury, or arsenic, Mm. or a more holistic approach that was popular during the Victorian era known as naturopathy, which was treatment of a disease through the promotion of one's own healing powers, which probably led to a lot of dead people, I would imagine. Well, you just think it away? You, you just, think? you just, I don't know. You you channel your own healing powers and just heal it, brother. Oh. I don't know how it works. It's just, that's what you do. You got to be a, a monk or something. I don't know. Yeah. What's just... your, you got to heal yourself. Okay. <laughs> just tell yourself it don't hurt no more. I guess. You don't see a mesmerizer and get them... Get them healing powers leveled up. What a fraud (laughs) job. I can't believe that that was like accepted. (laughs) Joseph chose to instead travel around Great Britain, Ireland, and Europe to remove himself from the stresses of medical school and attempt to get his stress and anxiety under control. Must be rough. I was going to say, he's very lucky that he has like the money to do that. And it sounded like what do they call that? Where like Christian people go to other countries? Uh, mission. Yeah, it kind of sounded like that because he like just went to different Quaker places around the countries oh. or whatever. So, oh, a pilgrimage. Kind of, yeah. yeah that's just kind of what he did. That's but, pretty uh, cool. After his 12 month sabbatical, Joseph Lister would re enroll at UCL to continue his studies. Back to the corpse room. <laughs> where he was able to rekindle his passion for becoming a surgeon, which meant. Joseph dived headfirst into studying anatomy and spending some of his free time in the dissection room. Of course. Trying to learn more about the human body. Apparently, he would even purchase body parts from bone collectors and medical suppliers, which included a bladder, a thorax, and a head with a partial spinal cord still attached. Oh, it was one of uh, <laughs> Sub-Zero's <laughs> victims. K- no, always <laughs> yeah, Kano. Yeah. He's like, how much for this, Kano? (laughs) Oi, every actor that played me has killed himself, oi. He also would buy a complete human skeleton for five pounds, which would take him two years to pay off. Damn, they were broke as fuck. (laughs) They were broke as Job's turkey over there. Dude, I'm telling you, surgeons didn't get paid anything. Like, Robert Liston was an outlier because he was kind of like a celebrity, but... Yeah, he was like a David Blaine surgeon, to be honest. Yeah, these other guys are like poor schlubs. Fuck me. They're like mechanics, but even worse treated (laughs) somehow. Finally, in October of 1850, with one completed year of medical school under his belt, he would begin his residency at University College Hospital. After a few months, he would be offered the position of surgical dresser to surgeon John Eric Erickson. (laughs) I think that's his name. Yep. (laughs) 
Now, to get an idea of the type of work environment that Joseph would have been working in, it was considerably different than what we think of today when we think of a hospital. It was kind of like scrubs. Yeah, uh, scrubs mixed with... Uh, I don't know, John Wayne Casey's floor <laughs> space. space. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of people viewing hospitals as places to heal, most of the time hospitals were referred to as houses of death. <laughs> <laughs> Again, because of the booming population in London, it caused, caused mass overcrowding within the hospital. Patients rarely had good ventilation or access to clean water. The smell of piss, shit, vomit, and rot were inescapable within the walls of the hospital. But they did at least do one thing to make the hospital a little bit more sanitary. Oh, yeah. They would hire a person to be the chief bug catcher, (laughs) which which was an individual who was responsible to rid the mattresses of lice. All right. The position of chief bug catcher was paid more than a surgeon within the hospital. At this time? At this that time. That is the truth, though. That <laughs> That is a much more important job. You have to de-louse these fucking mattresses. Oh, my God. What a job. He had to just burn them, right? Holy shit. No, because they have to use him again. I get... Dude. What, do you think they're made out of mattresses over there? They, dude, they were talking about one guy. They had gave him a dirty mattress, and he was just sitting there. And when they found, they checked him like a few days later. They had like mushrooms and maggots like crawling on the mattress, and he didn't say anything. He was just sitting there. He thought this was just normal hospital beds with fucking mushrooms growing out of the it. The mushrooms are naturopathy, you know. Yeah, you're, you're becoming one with nature with these oh poison mushrooms and maggots. I, this just sounds. This sounds horrified. Even walk in the door here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is a house of death for real. Yes. Now, as with Erickson, Lister's new boss and mentor, while he wasn't exactly what one would consider a skilled surgeon, he was exceptionally good at writing and teaching, which is funny because Erickson was known for being a bit stuck in the past as he thoroughly believed that they were reaching the peak of surgical practice and that the abdomen and head would always just be an instant death sentence for any surgeon who dare try to cut into them. Wow. He didn't think we were going any further than that. Ether, that's it. That's this guy here. That's like, the Apple II just came out. Yeah. That's it. You that's can- as far as we're going with computers. <laughs> where, where do you, th- you th- we're also getting, you think you can get porn on this thing? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> get a life connected to other people worldwide. You can just envision how fucking barbaric this guy is. What a bastard. (laughs) As for what exactly a surgical dresser's job entailed, their basic duties included writing down the case history for each patient the surgeon looked at, preparing diet tables, and assisting in post-mortem examinations. After Joseph had been working as a surgical dresser for a while, the hospital experienced an outbreak of era syphilis, which was an acute skin infection sometimes referred to as St. Anthony's Fire because your skin turns red and shiny. Symptoms include a high fever, tremors, and eventually death for those who don't survive. Fuck. Most surgeons during this time period viewed this ailment as incurable and you either live or you die. Nothing else. Is this related to syphilis syphilis? It, it must be like a off 
branch of it. Off, off I don't brand know. syphilis? All of these are, I'll talk about in a minute here, are all just different types of infections. Gross. That's all they are. That's what this is. So... This is the infection section? Yeah, well... Th- play the theme song for infection section. <laughs> I love this ensemble. <laughs> the infection section. Here comes Joseph Lister. He kicks the door down. I got it, boys. Don't worry beep, about beep, it. Beep, beep. <laughs> or you have to play some sort of Quaker music. I don't tis know what that is. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. That's a real song. Oh, my God. Now, Joseph actually knew more about aerosyphilis than most of his cohorts simply because... His mother had suffered from it several times. Mm. The author also speculates this disease affecting his mother at a young age was one of the leading causes of him becoming a bit of a hypochondriac. His hypochondria was evident because Joseph Lisser was compulsive about his shoes. He always had to wear extra thick soles in his shoes. I like it. I think he was scared maybe something would... Come up through there. He'll I get don't the erosyphilis up his fucking feet. <laughs> Honestly, he probably would. Serious gangrene. I bet that was a real concern at the Ooh, time. We're as well. about to talk about it. How do I always activate these you, trap cards? You know exactly what we're about to talk about. Boy. The interesting thing with erosyphilis was that it wasn't that uncommon to have outbreaks within the hospital setting. In fact, it was included as one of the big four along with hospital gangrene, there we go. septicemia, no. and pymia, which are which altogether became known as hospitalism. That's literally what they call it. Hospitalism. So if you get like a necrotic skin disease, that's <laughs> called hospitalism? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, the thing is, is uh, we're going to learn here. Hospitals would have an outbreak of one of these four, and then the infection would just run rampant on all the patients within that area. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. The outbreaks of hospitalism had gotten so bad in hospitals around the UK that it actually created two different groups of believers, contagionists and anti-contagionists. Wow. Since the dawn of anything, <laughs> yeah. since the dawn of anything, us stupid, this stupid species that we are, just has to argue about everything. And they, it seems like these dum dums <laughs> will always auto balance the sides, like it's a fucking Halo server. Oh my God! Contagionists believed that the outbreaks of infections were due to either a chemical. Invisible bullets in the air, (laughs) animalcule, which was just small organisms, or was from trading goods from countries that had infectious diseases. Uh They believed that quarantining and trade restrictions were the only way to stop the spread within hospitals. Now, anti-contagionists believed that the diseases spontaneously formed from filth and decaying matter that transferred through the air via poisonous vapors or miasma. As no surprise, the anti-contagionists were generally those considered as the elite who believed the diseases were coming from the filth created by the lower-class citizens. Yeah, because they've never stepped foot in a Mm. hospital. Their doctors and surgeons come to them when they get sick. I mean, again, stories old as time, rich versus poor. Hey, remember, everything, everything is fake. Racism is fake. (laughs) It's all fake. The only thing that's real is classism. Mm. And it's the rich telling you to hate different races and stuff. Just don't be an idiot. That's how it always is, Just don't be an idiot. Now, as for the outbreak of erosyphilis in the hospital that Joseph is working at, 
even though they had immediately quarantined the man who had brought it into the hospital, it was still spreading throughout the entire ward of the hospital. They would only get it under control when they completely isolated those infected patients in a completely different section of the hospital. Unbeknownst to them, the spread was more than likely due to them continuously touching new patients without cleaning their hands. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah, and things like this would become the crux of what Lister would spend his career trying to figure out and put a stop to. I love you, Joseph Lister. I'll give him the full respect. He is a hero, man. Joseph Lister knew the real enemy was stopping the spread of disease, infection, and inflammation with his patients. But sadly, Lister has to witness a lot of pain and suffering before he has his breakthrough with antiseptics. Joseph is about to have his first big event in regards to his surgical career who would find himself facing a dire situation. Now, Adam, I feel like this might make you sick, but brace me here. All right. It was about 1 a.m. I'm holding on to you as tight as I can here. It was about 1 a.m. on the morning of June 27th, 1851, and there was a commotion at the front door of the hospital, and when Joseph went to check it out, there was a policeman holding an unconscious woman in his arms. This woman was Julia Sullivan, and she had been stabbed by her abusive, alcoholic husband, who believed that she was having an affair, which she was not. How is this the most common story of all time? Dude. Oh, my God. Dudes that think chicks are fucking around and then stabbing the shit out of them. Especially this time. Like, dude, alcoholism's so fucking bad. There's so many stabbings. It's just insane. Now, while the wound was small in nature, a few coils of her intestine were protruding through the wound. Yeah. Joseph knew he ha- he would have to operate on this particular section of the human body, but he also knew how dangerous that it's the, was. It's a death sentence, according to his mentor. Yeah. It's, so she's like a fucking mattress with springs poking out right Basically, now. Basically. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to th- puke. <laughs> The other issue was that Joseph was all alone, and he did not have access to the more experienced Erickson. Uh, so that's he, actually good, though, because Erickson, I believe, would have slowed him down and to- and only got bad thoughts in his head. Tr- hey, honestly, you're probably right. But coincidentally, Joseph Lister had been studying about just such wounds because London had just so happened to be experiencing a large amount of stabbings. <laughs> And industrial accidents during the middle of the 19th century. So he had been anticipating a situation like this one may arise. If, you, if you're always prepared, you'll never be surprised, my friend. Oh, wait till we get into the hospital accidents next week. Holy <laughs> shit. Like, if you were working, you might as well just be like, this place is going to fucking kill me. And Honestly. I don't get paid for it. <laughs> no. The only guy getting paid around here is the, bed, the bug catcher chief. <laughs> Joseph would start out by removing some of her garments to get a little closer look. He then found out that the gash on her abdomen was about two-thirds of an inch long, but almost eight inches of her intestines were sticking out. How does that much come out of that little hole? How does that much come out of that little hole? That's like four penises of intestine. (laughs) After cleaning the wound of blood and fecal matter... He, he attempted to just slide the intestine back into the That's hole. That's how it works. <laughs> but he found out it wasn't going to go back in that easily. <clears throat> so he knew he was going to have to widen the cut. Oh, fuck. He would extend the wound to about three-fourths of an inch, 
then stitched up the cut part of the intestine with a fine needle and silk thread, then carefully pushed the intestine back into its natural place, then proceeded to stitch up the gash itself. Outside of this success at returning the intestine to the inside of her body, he was also happy that he did so while keeping the loss of blood to a minimum. Nice. While this was a splendid moment for Joseph, the truth was that the real battle had just started Mm. with the survival of Julia. Here's the infection fight. The problem was only exacerbated due to the fact that sutures had a high, high chance of becoming infected, Mm. especially the ones that he stitched up on her intestine. Mm. Sutures. The inside one. Yeah. uh, It's just because, like, the cloth holds those germs and shit. Oh, for sure, man. Sutures had such a high probability of becoming infected, most surgeons preferred to cauterize the wound. But that was also tricky because the slower you burn the wound, yeah. the better better it heals. But the pain is oh. also very excruciating, and there's always a risk of burning into You're the skeet too deep. Yeah. yeah. Fuck me. Oh, that's hard. Now they have fucking surgical staples and shit. It's so good to have surgery now. Mm -hmm. At least until we run out of usable antibiotics. (laughs) And then this shit's going to start all over Then we're going to need a new Joseph Lister to rise up and fix that problem. Yep, yep. After the procedure was over, Joseph ordered that Julia only have a liquid diet to reduce pressure on her bowels. Good idea. And also, she was prescribed a healthy dose of opium. Good idea, too. But that'll make your poop hard. Opiate-induced constipation is one of the major side effects. I of... don't think they know that at this point. I'm oh, assuming. You, well, come on. You know how much they love um, enemas. They love them. They, they love, love them. enemas. They love them. There was uh, a story of Erickson, actually. Some guy had gotten, like, kicked in the gut, and he had internal bleeding or something. They didn't know that, mm. but he just kept giving them enemas to try to relieve the pain. Oh. Anyway... The funny thing about opium was that not only could it be purchased from anyone, including tobacconists, wine merchants, ironmongers, and barbers, it was actually more popular than alcohol during the 19th century. Uh, it'll give you a kick. <laughs> it'll give you a kick in the shorts. They love their opium in Britain, dude. That makes sense, yeah. <clears throat> well, if you can get it from the local ironmonger, that's, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, go they're to, on every corner. Go to, you just go to the scrapyard and pick up a ball of opium. Yeah, and no a problem. junkyard cat. <laughs> As with Julia, she was recovering nicely at first, but did develop peritoneus, which is... Peritonitis is an inflammation of the peritoneum, the tissue that lines the inner wall of the abdomen and, and covers and supports most of your abdominal organs. Peritonitis is usually caused by infection from bacteria or fungi. So we know where that came from, obviously. Erickson would oh. pre- Erickson would prescribe a treatment of leeches, poultices, and fomentations. These are just—it's just like a fancy word for like a hot compress. Okay, okay, and like a salve. Honestly, okay. that's ser- that's honestly all that it it's is. Like some A and D and a hot bag. Yeah, all right. Which seemed to work because Julia. Would make a full recovery. Thank God. Two months later, Julia Sullivan and Joseph Lister would testify against her husband on the attempted murder charges. Joseph Lister's testimony apparently was the final nail in her husband's coffin. He was eventually found guilty and sentenced to 20 years transportation. He had to drive a bus for 20 years. (laughs) I mean, that is a hell. Yes. Which meant 
he would be transported to a penile colony penile, in a- penile. <laughs> penile colony in Australia. Oh shit, he's getting sent to oh, good eye, Mike. <laughs> Which was pretty close to a death sentence for anyone Fuck because Yeah, you're going to the fucking outback, baby. Dude, one in three died just on their way to Australia. Oh, so a little like the slave ships. Yeah, it, yeah, you had to stay in this place called the Hulks first. And apparently the lice was so bad, like, the towels were, like, black. Oh. Gross. Thick with lice. Some people were like, it looked like you sprinkled pepper all over it. Oh, my God. Disgusting. Oh, marron. As with our main protagonist, while he may have rejoiced in the success in saving Julius Sullivan, there will be a lot of people who will not be so lucky. Joseph Lister will continue to learn under Erickson, but eventually will be under the tutelage of a Celt that will change not only Scotland, but also his life forever. Yeah. There we go. Part two. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Let's <laughs> not stop because this is a great one. We've never had a hero before. No. And uh, this is a hero with a lot of this is buffoons. like This is our first Eli Roth episode. Yeah. Like uh, where 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 it's, uh, it's gore porn for sure. Yeah. Uh, but this is like real life gore porn. Honestly. Real gore porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's brutal. Uh, nobody needs eight inches of intestine hanging no. out their tum God, just, t- what is two and a quarter inches like that? Jeez. Oh, mu- oh, no, a quarter inch was how big the, the cut was, right? It was two, two thirds of an inch or something two, like that. No, he widened it to two thirds of an inch. Mm, I it, was it was a quarter inch and <laughs> somehow eight inches of intestine came through that motherfucker. Well. Was he using like a hooked blade? Well, I, I don't know. He. Basically, the story went with them too is she they couldn't divorce because in Victorian yeah. era yeah. you had to prove not only was your husband abusing you and cheating on you, you had to have both of them. You couldn't just have one or the other. Anyway, uh, yeah, he basically popped out of an alley, stabbed her, and then just ran off. Uh, he must have got in there, got a little piece of the intestine, pulled it out with it or something. Yeah, I don't know. like I if mean, it's like I've, it got one of those hooks on the back. Obviously. Those intestines want to come out of there if they can, so... Yeah, they want to... Yeah, <laughs> they'll find any way. If you cough wrong, they'll come out your balls. You know how it is. Yeah, Hernias. Oh, I, I... I, It was pretty embarrassing. I asked a lady if chicks could get hernias. That's how stupid I am. Well, of course they can. I don't think yeah. they can get sport ones, but... Yeah, that, yeah, that's... And that's what mm. I had heard, was... <laughs> and I assumed that was all hernias. Nope, chicks can get them. Nobody can escape hernias. Nobody on the face of the earth can escape a hernia. Chicks can also get kidney stones, which I didn't know. I didn't think they They do have kidneys. Yeah. They cannot get prostate cancer. That's the truth. (laughs) And that's what will kill all men. Yeah. And that's why we die on average seven years earlier. Got to get that bad boy checked out. Yeah. You got to. Now That's they have a, a poisonous thing. little I, balloon in I you. I think now they have a thing like you can re- literally take a dump in a bucket, give it to them, and then uh, they can tell you if you have it or not. I've seen that on TV. You just shit in a bucket? Yeah, and they like test all of this stuff. They I'm test doing it cancer. tonight. <laughs> I'm bringing my bucket into the hospital tomorrow. I've seen one where there's a take-home poop bucket. It's yeah. pretty gross. I when uh, Before my, uh, what's it called? The thing you do? Uh, colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Yeah. Uh, I had to like hockey puck some poop into a pill bottle and bring it in yeah they had to run some tests on my poopy yeah they'll do yeah. that that's uh it's gross but it's necessary necessary mm. i i would do it again if they asked me i wouldn't like it but i'd do it again 
Hell yeah. Oh, uh, Cody, this is a good one. I'm very excited for part two. I know everyone else will be. Uh, we haven't had anything like this, so I'm I'm stoked. Yeah, we yeah. might as well talk about a good guy. Yeah, I like it. I like plenty it quite a bit. Of, plenty of gore for the sickies. If you like it too, what you can do is leave us a form submission on our website. That's bumblebuttpodcast.com or weirdosunited.com or subliminaldeception.com. It all brings you... Uh, roughly to the same place, I think, right? It does. Absolutely. So go to any of those, leave a form submission, we'll read it out, we'll talk to you, we'll do whatever the hell you want. We'll dance, monkey, dance, we'll do it. Uh, If you want to get us on uh, social media, do the Instagram, Bumblebutt Podcast, Twitter, Bumblebutt Pod. Now, an important thing that you also need to do is bop that follow button on Spotify and leave a five-star review, if you could, on iTunes. I don't think Hell we yeah. have any written, we but do we not. do have, I did see we got at least one more five-star review. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll keep my eye out. Are. I'll keep my eye out on the CD International <laughs> iTunes back channels and see if it's uh, one of them Canadians. Did you get in the Silk Road for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. A great, another way you can support us, which is a really awesome way, is patreon.com slash podcast. Sign up at any level we have. Patreon episodes up the wazoo. I'm going to have, uh, I think we'll have another one next week, Cody. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Get, get some naughties in and there. I think we're no. going to get a video nasty, or an audio nasty. <laughs> audio nasty. Uh, yeah, Bumblebutt Pod, nope. Patreon.com slash Bumblebutt Podcast. You can also get there from our website. There's a banner on there. Uh, yeah, any level. Cody, do we have any new Patreons to thank? Oh, we got some heroes here. We got to thank Rebecca. We got to thank Paul. Rebecca, you're a monster. Paul, you're a monster. And we got to thank Clarissa. Clarissa, you explained it all, <laughs> baby. I'm sorry, yeah, that the, was misogynist. Yeah. You're a monster. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you to everybody. We've been getting a little boom here with our Patreon. So thank Seriously. you, everybody, who's uh, chosen to support us. Obviously, it's only going towards the show. We And we've never looked more successful. Up no. Here. Or, I mean, uh, professional and no. successful. Why not? I mean, we, we can fit more stuff in here, right? Definitely, but we're this. We've never looked more like a podcast. We need and to get, less like crackheads. We, we need to get Adam like an air conditioned helmet. Whew! I got a little sweat on me, that's for sure. But that's the you know that's if that's my sacrifice, mm. if that's how I make my art, if that's the struggle I have to go through, then I will. Yeah, I've you know what's weird. Never felt the room this hot before. Very strange. We're on the top floor. Mm. Top floor. Heat rises. never this hot. Heat rises. Well, do you have a fan? No. Oh. Maybe there's more vents in there, maybe. Do you not know. sleep with a fan? How do you fall asleep? Um, YouTube. I'm a no... I like the... I like... With headphones or what? No. Leave the TV on. Are you fucking kidding me? No, you and Bianca timer. both? Yeah. That's the, ridiculous. Set the sleep timer. All right. Well, That's what I do. I'm crazy, man. Listen, everyone, try not to do that. You'll develop unhealthy sleeping patterns. <laughs> do do anything else. Listen to these podcasts while you sleep. Just leave Hell them on yeah. autoplay. It'll be I've great. heard that works. I think it works. Mm. I think we're relaxing enough. I don't think we ever yell. No. Ever. No. Really. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess that end part there was just like a like a commentary track or something. <laughs> and we kind of got kind of got lost in the weeds for a second, but that's fine. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. I've been Adam. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Mm, go see your local surgeon. Get after it. And <laughs> Ironmonger. 